Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And I'm joined uh, today by Dr. Greg White from the University of Texas at San Antonio. And we're going to be talking about UTSA's infrastructure assurance and security, uh, and also uh, the information sharing and analysis organization work that uh, he's been doing over the past few years. Uh, We'll also likely talk about Cyber Threat Defender, a card game uh, that he helped found to get kids uh, learning about uh, cybersecurity instead of playing Magic the Gathering or Pokemon or one of those ones you could play Cyber Threat Defender similar style game um, and uh, just very fun uh, but get to learn the fundamentals of cybersecurity if you uh, want to find out more about Cyber Threat Defender it's been on the internet long enough now I think if you pick your favorite search engine and, and search for Cyber Threat Defender you can likely find the website where you would need to go to buy a copy of the uh, the game for yourself um, and as uh, Dr. White and I were chatting here before the program uh, started uh, they're uh, working on releasing um, Cyber Threat Defender in Spanish as well. So uh, thank you for making the, the that addition. Uh, we're going to the second language here for Cyber Threat Defender. Yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, with that, Cyber Talk Radio, will, uh, we're going to buy 100 of those decks as they get that printing done, and we will uh, get those out to uh, San Antonio ISD and uh, help the kids out there uh, get to uh, learn about cybersecurity, um, maybe in a language they're more comfortable with, and uh, everything we can do to build cybersecurity awareness at that youth level and get folks interested in uh, all of the careers and opportunities uh, that they have here in our San Antonio area and really um, all around the world these days. You can uh, get a cybersecurity job and uh, and it just creates uh, all types of opportunities for you. If this is your first time uh, tuning into CyberTalk Radio, uh, we've been on the air here about three years now. Uh, you can check out um, all of our past uh, episodes uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com, uh, as well as uh, on all of the podcasting services out there on the internet. Um, and there's uh, two ways to get a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. One, you can become a guest of the program, and we'll give you one. Or the second is if, if there's a podcasting service out there where you don't uh, see our program uh, or you, you find information where it's not publishing the headers or the summary or anything else where that RSS feed is not behaving itself. Uh, if you let us know on uh, Facebook or Twitter at CyberTalk Radio, we will fix that and then we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt for helping us uh, get all the things that we talk about on this program out there uh, to folks all across the internet. So, uh, Dr. White, again, thank you for coming down and uh, joining us again here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, how long have you been at UTSA now? I started work full-time at UTSA in the fall of 2001. Okay. So um, it's, we're sneaking up on 20 years now. And so you've been teaching cybersecurity, I guess, um, almost as long. Or When you first got there, did, was there even a school of, of Internet security at that point or cybersecurity? No, I was actually the first full-time hire to come out there and help them to establish their cybersecurity program, which started in the College of Business. So I initially was hired by the Information Systems Department and then later switched to computer science, which is what my background is. Yeah. And so now um, UTSA has a really large cybersecurity program that's worked out pretty well. Yes, we have several yeah. thousand individuals involved in cyber now at this point across th- uh, multiple colleges. Yeah. And, and you have multiple programs accredited by the um, NSA and DHS. Yes, we're one of, uh, I was told, I didn't do the counting myself, but I was told that we're one of only 10 schools in the country that have all three NSA designations, yeah. including the, the hardest one, which we just received this this uh, last year, yeah. which is the cyber operations. Yeah, well, uh, congratulations for that. And, and I mean, the, the program you built, um, yeah, I feel, I feel like there was a, I got called by someone in the news media recently, I think they were writing a biography uh, background about you, and uh, they, they'd asked, um, 
uh, what um, kind of impact of you being in the private sector and then going to the university. And I said, I, I, I believe that um, the impact you've been able to make at UTSA um, is much bigger than in starting another cybersecurity company in the private sector could have been. I mean, just the, the tens of thousands of lives you've impacted at this point and, and also the, the systems you've set up and built there to uh, really just uh, help that turn into something that's going to go on from generations and generations. So, um, yeah, a measurable um, impact to our community. So I will say thank you. Well, thank you. We've been, I've been very fortunate out at UTSA. They let me let me do the projects I want to do out there and the fun things. Otherwise, you know, I, uh, if I didn't have a university that was so cooperative, we would not have been able to start the things that, that we've been able to do out there. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a couple of those today. Um, yeah, if you want to hear uh, more about uh, other things going on at UTSA as well, we've had um, one of Dr. White's colleagues on, Dr. Nicole Beebe. Um, so you can go just check if you go on that CyberTalk Radio website or your podcast service and search uh, in UTSA and our streams, there's all sorts of, of great things going on there now. As, uh, as, as Greg just mentioned, I mean, across all, three different uh, programs uh, that are all NSA and DHS certified um, and, and multiple degree programs in there across multiple colleges at the university. Uh, we won't cover all of that in, in one program for sure. Uh, but we, we are going to dive in today is uh, the National Security Collaboration Center. Uh, and if you've uh, been following the news around the San Antonio area, uh, this is one it's it's uh, in early form up on the main UTSA campus right now, or I'm going to call that the uh, the 1604 campus or the North campus. I don't know. As we have main campus and downtown campus. I don't know if those are going to get renamed at some point as downtown grows. Uh, but the uh, the up on the main campus right now um, is the National Security Collaboration Center. While um, a new facility is getting built in the middle of, of downtown San Antonio to house that uh, over the, the long term. So uh, can you just uh, give kind of your perspective and, and background on how did that come about? Because it's, a, I think, a really interesting collaboration of uh, university research, uh, public sector and private sector um, collaboration and a, a joint research uh, lab. And I don't see, well, I'm not aware of any other on the cybersecurity side, but even across other industries, this doesn't seem like something that's that's very commonly done um, at the, the university level. Well, you do have a, a few universities out there that have done something similar, not necessarily in security, but you know, have uh, you know the research park uh, kind of places that uh, that exist. You have UT Austin has got uh, a number of different research uh, efforts going on with industry with uh, folks up there in Austin. So it's not necessarily unusual well i take that back it's not that it's the only time that's ever been done but it yeah. is not not every university does something like that and then with the concentration of course of cybersecurity companies we have here in san antonio and other cybersecurity programs there's in what five different universities six different universities here or colleges that have the uh, nsa designation as a center of excellence it's kind of natural for us to do something in security and uh, the uh, leadership leadership out at utsa took a look at what we have uh, they they are aware of the things that other universities have done and said we should be doing something in cyber down here or in security period yeah so uh, and and so I guess that idea is that went from idea to um, implementation in in feels like very quickly and I mean and this is an interesting one I think for folks that always say higher education moves so slow and all the rest of this UTSA is only 50 years old as a university. I think uh, just recently here in October, they had their big 50th birthday gala and bash uh, or end of September, I guess, somewhere there, um, a big party on, on this 50th birthday. And 
I mean, looking at the the size of the organization and the number of programs and the in just the continued evolution and growth, um, I think UTSA is a perfect example that higher education doesn't have to to move slowly, and it doesn't um, in a lot of places. So, and and we're very fortunate with the leadership that we have out there, uh, beginning with uh, our president, Dr. Amy. Uh, yeah, if you uh, if you stop to take a rest, he'll pass you by because he's constantly moving and looking at the next steps and what else needs to be done at the university. And uh, you have to credit that National Security Collaboration Center to, to have to credit him with that. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, this went from idea to prototype, or I guess the initial facility, while the new ones under construction, it, under two years. Yes, he he basically said that uh, you know it's going to take a couple of years to get the building built. Well, yeah. we don't, we don't want to wait a couple of years before we start doing this because it's a good idea. So he actually cleared out some space uh, on in the uh, North Paseo building, the fourth floor, and did some construction up there to, to change a few walls and invited the folks that are partners already. Yeah, uh, to start participating up there, and it's it's been working very well. And and so you have um, roughly how many companies are involved now? The last um, I was at a briefing earlier this week, and if I recall correctly, I think there was forty eight different partners. Not all of those are yeah. are uh, industry partners. Some of those are a number of them are government ones, such yeah, as the Secret Service and the NSA and folks like that, Army yeah. Research Lab. Yeah, and other universities as well. Yes, we have a couple other universities. Yeah, I mean that's a. I think that's the really magical thing about this is it, you're getting just that that diversity and mix um, that uh, really I think can become a great um, asset to um, our city here, but to ideally our, our country and the and the world overall of just continuing to make things uh, safer than they are today. Um, so that we can all be productive and use the internet for all the good things we like to do. And it's great for the students because they have an opportunity just to walk upstairs, you know, quite literally, and and talk to some of the companies that are here in San Antonio that are represented there uh, at the NSCC. And and folks have internships, folks have gotten jobs. Yeah, and it's working out well. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, I think official designation UTSA is not a, a tier one research university across the board yet. Yet. Uh, yet. Um, I, I will say my perspective, they certainly are on the cybersecurity side of things. So if you're out there listening, going, where should I decide to go to school? I'm, I'm thinking about a career in cybersecurity. Um, I couldn't uh, recommend anything more highly than uh, the, the opportunities you would have at UTSA. If I may tag, uh, tag on to that there. One of the things that you see at other universities uh, that have cybersecurity programs, often you will, you'll ha- they'll be housed in a college. It might be a computer science department, a college of science, or the information systems in the college of business or whatever. The, the thing that, is, uh, that, that stands out at UTSA is that, as you mentioned earlier, it's across, it spans. Uh, cybersecurity is not just a technical problem. It's not just a policy problem. It spans this broad spectrum of different uh, responsibilities and, and tasks and things that you need to do, both technical and, and non-technical. And wherever your druthers lie, what you prefer to do, what you like doing, whether it be hardware, software, policy, whatever, we've got a program for you. Yeah. No, I'm, I've, I've joked with folks uh, at times that um, I'm waiting for a psychology department to add cybersecurity curriculum because, um, I mean, there's all the, the phishing and all of the social engineering as it's applied to cyber I'm, I wonder if anyone's teaching a specific um, psychology class about that yet out well, there. Well, we are talking about uh, to the public policy folks and to the poli- political science people yeah. out there who are very interested. Because you can see the, the you know international uh, law and cybersecurity and where does that uh, fit in? And we actually have a professor who came from um, Estonia yeah. that is 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 well versed in that. 
Yeah, no, the international law, not super well defined on the cyber uh, security front of things. So, not at all. Yeah, the pr- president and chief legal officer at Microsoft, Brad Smith, is um, pretty famous for being on the record um, for asking the nations to get together for a cyber Geneva convention to um, get some rules set around how the cyber stuff should work. And um, no one's gotten together to actually talk about that yet. There was actually a group that uh, that has met a couple times uh, in Estonia. Uh, but it's it's and they came up with this thing called the Talon Manual, and version 2.0 came out. I think it was last year, uh, which uh, basically they did. They try to do just that, but it's it's just a recommendation. Yeah. This is this group of uh, international experts who came together and said, "Here's how we see Geneva Convention, the uh, Hague, you know, the, the things that are coming out of the Hague, you know, the things uh, these other uh, laws, international laws, rules." Uh, uh, the charter from the UN. And this is how we would have that would apply cyber to that, uh, and it's actually it's, it's some really interesting stuff that they came up with. But it's just a recommendation because it's not been adopted officially yeah, by it's anybody. Not, not going to the UN. Not actually going anywhere for a, a vote at any anytime soon, unless someone's listening out here and wants to put it forward. Uh, but, but it's great to talk about in class because there's some really interesting things that they cover. Yeah, things like cyber booby traps. I love that topic. Yeah, no, it's it. it, This is, I mean, one. I think where folks initially just get the perception that cybersecurity is everything. It's it's just uh, Mr. Robot, the the hacker in front of the computer on a command line doing things. And cybersecurity is is all about how the the internet domain, cyberspace, as you you would call it overall, maybe another vernacular. It's how that applies to all sorts of things across uh, human interaction on the the consumer side of things and the family relationships and the public policy and the business to business, all of those things. That cyber is how it impacts and, and that fabric is woven across everything. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I mentioned the cyber operations uh, designation that we received. I teach the cyber operations course at UTSA and one of my big goals in that class we do a number of different things in the class but one of the things i want to make sure the students come out of that class with is an understanding exactly what you said that it's more than just you know mr robot out there yeah. uh, the traditional computer science student looks at that class and thinks you know i give them an assignment of uh, well I've, we've done things like uh, one of my assignments was plan the russian uh campaign for the 2020 election yeah you know things like that because you have to, we know it's going to happen you know how would you go about doing it because if you think about that then you can better uh, defend against that as well. But what I try to get them to do is in, in, initially comp sci students want to immediately do the we're going to, you know, uh, run some vulnerability scanners. We're going to break into some systems. We can do all these kind of fun things. And no, 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 no. Yeah. What about social media? What can you do to influence yeah. the election? We're trying to influence the election. We're not just trying to break into systems. No. So that's that's part of cyber operations. Yeah, and especially as, as you start to go through some of these different things, um, that, that breaking into the systems is definitely illegal. Um, disseminating information on the Internet may be unethical in different ways, but it might not be illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, all sorts of, of lines in there, and if you are going to run an information warfare campaign, you might not want to break laws because then that campaign can't get shut down. So... Um, I mean, these are all the different types of things to think about as you're, you're going through that. Like, what could, what can you do from your? I'd have fun with that assignment. Yeah. It's, what, what can you do without breaking <laughs> laws? And then, what information sharing things would you be doing that might be illegal, where you're disseminating false information on purpose to to manipulate an election? But if you were paying advertising to send the truth, um, and you can prove their facts, it's not libelous. It's not anything else. 
I don't know about foreign money into national elections. There might be some laws and rules about that, but you could investigate all these things and figure out if you were the Russians, what what are you allowed to do without actually tripping over any problems? And and the interesting question there is what truth, you know, because I could take a fact yeah. and look at it from different points of view. Uh, we have a donor that uh, donated uh, $10 million to UTSA, and you can be a positive about that, or you can turn that around and say uh, uh, the donor only donated $10 million this year, and so now it's a negative kind yeah. of thing, and, it's, it, it, and both are true. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's still the same fact. Uh, yeah, lies, damn lies, and statistics, and uh, yeah, everyone can take their facts and use them as they would like. It's yes. A, it's a fun class, let's just say that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, these are the, the type of, of things you get to, to uh, learn about, discuss, and study on the, the cybersecurity side of things. So, uh, so one of the the um, other programs that you you set up and started, I believe, at UTSA is the Center for uh, Infrastructure Assurance and Security. I actually was uh, when I was hired in 2001 to come in to help develop the program. I was a technical director at that time for the CIS. Dr. Glenn Dietrich in the IS department, uh, who was also the department chair at the time, actually started the CIS. He was the first director. Okay, so and, and so that was in an individual college at one point is it still part of a single college it it is um officially in the college of science and the computer science department because that as a as a professor of computer science science that's where i reside uh and so the 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 center is still is officially under a college but um the university like i said has been has been very kind in giving me a lot of leeway yes and i go whichever direction i think needs to we need to be heading yeah, so I mean, some of the programs that I've I've seen there feel like things that would be cyber related to the College of Business on the policy side, and just all sorts of interesting stuff um, there over the years. Uh, you guys have a, a website for for that as well, right? Where folks want to go check out things about the CIAS. Yes, uh, CIAS at UTSA.edu. Yeah. And so there's more information about um, of that up there on the site. And you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Greg White from the University of Texas at San Antonio. Um, and Greg, thank you again for joining us as we've uh, been talking through uh, some of the work you've done out there at the, the university in the start of the program. Um, one, we, I mentioned the Cyber Threat Defender card game at the start, but this is not the only sort of gaming and, and other things that uh, you guys were involved in or um, have helped. So um, one of the ones in um, the collegiate level, which was the, the first competition here, the, um, the NCCD. So um, explain to folks that have never heard about um, that kind of competition, how, how this came about as a, a competition slash challenge sport. Um, I want to call it a sport because I, I think they're really headed that direction. The National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, which we just generally refer to as the NCCDC, uh, started as a result of a uh, seminar, a National Science Foundation-funded seminar that occurred in 2014. Uh, what had happened was you had an individual from uh, West Point and another individual from George Washington uh, University uh, uh, that uh, got some grant money from NSF to pull together a bunch of people from across the United States. Uh, and we met in San Antonio, interestingly enough, not because actually not because of UTSA at the time, but because yeah. San Antonio is kind of in the middle of the country. So yeah. East Coast, West Coast, uh, people could come here. Uh, and we discussed the, the question was, is the competition that the service academies was running at that time, their cyber defense exercises, what they called it, is that something that would be 
useful for other colleges to consider? Would this be a good thing for non-service academies to be running something like that? Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, one of the few times I've ever seen 100% of the people, you know, faculty members included, <laughs> especially, agree on something. Yeah. Everybody that was at that seminar and I was in that workshop, I was I was lucky enough to be asked because I knew both the individuals that were running it, but uh, was asked to attend that. Um, everybody thought that that was a good idea. We ought to do something like that. Civilian universities would be would be well advised to be participate uh, in a competition of, of that sort. And if you know anything about academia, though, you know the first thing that a bunch of academics want to do when they when they get together is start forming committees. Yes. Uh, and then nothing ever really gets happened, and that happens for years. And, and to be quite honest, all kidding aside, that's exactly what started here. Because when everybody got excited about it, then they started forming. We'll have a rules committee, and we'll have a sponsorship committee, and we'll have this, and, and just. During a break, I went over to, there was an individual from Texas A&M that I knew at there, and they had another individual from UT Austin. And I pulled him aside and said, folks are forming committees. You know what that means. Uh, I said, I'll tell you what, if you agree to field teams, we'll, UTSA will field a team, and we'll go ahead and run the competition. And they said they would. Uh, so we went ahead and announced it. We actually grabbed a, a two-year college down at Corpus Christi and... Um, uh, another one, uh, another university we knew that had a program here in, in Texas that had a cybersecurity program. So we had five Texas schools, ran the competition. It went very, very well. Uh, and then at, uh, at the uh, Colloquium for Information System Security Education, which is an official conference for uh, cybersecurity educators, we announced what we had done and we said, we're looking, we want to take this national. We're looking for a few other schools that will be willing to run regional events. And it has just, we had four schools that raise their hand and it's taken off to where we have 10 regions now and people competing all over the place yeah so that's that's great it's not quite college football yet um just as a, the next thing i'm going to mention uh, cyber patriots not quite high school football yet but if we we keep working on it uh hopefully it heads that direction yeah what's exciting about cyber patriot we were co-founders of the cyber patriot competition and as a matter of fact utsa the cias we are the technology behind it. So all the images that the teams use, the scoring engine that's used, uh, the, the network at the national championship, uh, we run that. So we do all that technology piece. And it's exciting being part of that because, you know, it's now middle school too. So you yeah. have middle school folks going to high school. Uh, and they're getting better. The high school students are getting pretty darn good at some of those schools in the country, very good at it. So we've been able to bump up the complexity and if you take a look at the national championship now yeah. uh, for cyber patriot it looks a lot closer to what we do in the nccdc and the idea being you know you just like you're saying football or any other sport yeah you played in middle school you played in high school you played in college the rules don't change the competition just gets harder yeah so ncaa um how about making the nccdc a, a officially sanctioned sport so utsa can offer some athletic scholarships for it um, it, that's uh, outside your controls university, but uh, if the NCAA will do that, then uh, it'll open up some new doors. But um, I do know there are, um, I mean, one, we've had um, Brent Thessler, the pr president of Hallmark University here, like he's offered scholarships to Hallmark for Cyber mm -hmm. Patriot kids out of high school um, to help him field a, a better um, NC, the national college level um, team to try to go win that competition at the collegiate level. So. Uh, private universities get to to skip ahead of the line on some of that stuff. He's I mean, it's effectively it's kind of an academic scholarship, but it's really an athletic scholarship because it's all about playing the actual sport um, and competing in the sport as a, a team member. And we've seen if you take a look at the winning team for at the uh, NCCDC for the nas uh, last couple of years, 
that winning team has had at least 50% Cyber Patriot alumni. Yeah. So we're it's working. You know, yeah. the, the transition is working. That's great stuff. And I, um, I, I feel like I read an article, and you may know more about this we can share with the listeners, but that Cyber Patriot was going to try to work on getting some stuff down into the elementary school. It was then was that tied to the Cyber Threat Defender card game or something separate? It's something separate, but they do have they have both a uh, elementary school program now, and as a matter of fact, we actually wrote a couple electronic uh, games for them that are that are available through the Cyber Patriot uh, that they have kids playing, and they have some other things going on playing uh, activities and things like that for students. But they also have a I think they're calling it the uh, silver program or something. It's basically for seniors. Yeah. And so that the uh, Air Force Association chapters around the country can take cybersecurity to seniors. So we're going to take a quick break here uh, for news, traffic, and weather update at the bottom of the hour. I will be back with Dr. White. We're going to talk about the uh, some more gaming things, the national level exercise coming in 2020. And with that, we will be back in just a moment. Welcome back to Cyber Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And uh, we're talking about uh, all sorts of things going on um, at the University of Texas San Antonio today with Dr. Greg White. If you uh, just turned uh, on your radio right now, hopping into your car, or if you uh, just decided to launch that iHeartRadio streaming app from your Android iOS device or in your web browser at iHeartRadio.com, thank you for tuning in. Uh, The first half of the program... Um, we bounced around uh, all sorts of great stuff. It'll be up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, October the 15th. And it'll also go out there uh, to all the podcasting services all across the Internet. Uh, we've been uh, on the air now for a little bit more than three years. And uh, we talk uh, about all sorts of uh, cybersecurity uh, from business industry through to education. Uh, we've uh, covered election security. I know this is uh, always a, a hot topic. We were talking a little bit about uh, one of the exercises Dr. Wright one, runs in one of his cybersecurity classes of uh, if you were the Russians in 2020, how would you meddle with our elections on the Internet? Um, we've had uh, the Bear County Election Commissioner uh, on the program here where um, we talked uh, election security, and I really asked her every hard question I could think of for a whole hour um, and uh, thrilled uh, with how um, our uh, county here in the state of Texas handles our election security, and I feel uh, very confident about my vote. If you'd like to hear more from uh, uh, Jackie Cal Allen on that and um, and learn uh, what we're doing here to secure the vote in uh, Bear County, Texas, uh, check out that program uh, on our archives. But it, it's certainly interesting, and one of the the things that they do, you'll you'll appreciate this. So uh, I don't know if you've ever looked after the the vote here, but the uh, the vote website that they publish out is just a text file. Um, and the voting machines never get connected to any network. So they have them in dual custody throughout the whole process um, and in custody of people from each party. Um, so you'd have to get people across parties to cooperate. And then they take the vote counts off, and th- those vote counts are double-checked and then manually entered into the collation system and then published out as a text file. So not a lot of opportunity for tampering there. Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, I've, I've had an opportunity to uh, to – uh, be involved in this election process. I served, for example, as a, an election clerk here in, in Bear County for uh, uh, over a decade. And yeah. I, I certainly have seen some interesting things here. And, you know, I, as, a, as a computer science uh, 
professor, I'm very interested in the election thing. And one of the things that, that, that I'm convinced of, and I think that we need to seriously consider, uh, is what happens if the machines go... If they fail. If they yeah. fail, they go belly up on you type thing. Uh, votes can, and this is ha has happened, uh, where votes uh, in a, an election somewhere, the uh, machine failed, and we know that there's a certain number of votes on that machine, but we don't know what they are. We don't know how to get them off, and, it, and you've lost some votes if you do that. So the, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent of having some sort of secondary pr uh, paper backup, if you will, so that uh, uh, you, you hit that little vote button, and it, not only does it tally it on the machine, because we want that quick tally, yeah. but if there's ever a question, it also prints off a, a card, paper receipt. I, a yeah. paper receipt. I can verify that paper receipt, and I put it in the lockbox. If, if there's no recount needed, you can just burn those. If uh, there is a recount or if there's a problem, you have a backup. Yeah, because yeah, if you, you get into an election where, I don't know what they'll say, there was... Um, 100 votes on a machine and the uh, one of the races in that was decided by less than 100 votes it's uh i mean that could come down to who ends up in the the different office and kind of a vote undercounting and that's um not a not a great situation to be in and it, it does not seem like it would be that challenging to add a little receipt printer onto each of these voting machines as a requirement and that's that's my suggestion yeah no i mean i just as we talk about it and think through it i mean and that just goes into kind of the fundamental principles as you, you talk about in computer science and the rest of these in, in cybersecurity is looking at the different failure scenarios and then trying to minimize the damage and the risk from those failure scenarios backup 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 is what i tell my students yeah for sure yeah because if, if you don't have another copy of something uh then if you lose your only one it's gone forever and i mean yeah we have i've talked to folks working on phds that only kept one copy of their research and if you're out there listening to this program right now working on a phd and you don't have five copies of all of your research materials and your data set and everything else make five copies of it because getting those years of your life back to start over way more expensive than storing five copies absolutely yes so um it, Talking through uh, uh, this, so we've we've got this national level exercise coming on in, in 2020, and we were uh, just chatting about it a little bit um, in between on one of the the breaks in the program. Um, this is something that's kind of huge, and it's it's more than just this is not just normally a cybersecurity thing. So help uh, ex kind of explain this kind of game challenge. Um, I don't know, I would call it a game, but it's a, an exercise and it, real time, um, not a, even a competition. Probably there's not like a winning and losing team here. This is. Can we actually um, deal with a, a cybersecurity incident? Uh, yeah, in this case, it actually is a, an exercise and a game because uh, what happens? The national level exercise is a, occurs every couple of years in the United States, and every every occurrence of it, the the DHS FEMA folks decide what are we going to exercise? What do we want to exercise at a national level this year? Is it going to be a, a natural disaster? Will it be a um, terrorist attack of some sort, a biological issue, or whatever? Uh, in 2020, the incident is going to be a cybersecurity incident that will be impacting the nation. So states and communities have the opportunity to participate in this exercise and to look at the potential impact and how to, how to respond to it from a national level. Uh, in conjunction with that, we were approached uh, by uh, some folks there at DHS that wanted to have a game uh, that they could provide to communities before the exercise that would help them prepare to participate in the exercise. So we actually have produced and are in the process of, of finishing it up a, a game that um, we've been told that they want to put online so any community in the country can download it and utilize this to help them prepare for participation in the exercise. Yeah. 
No, I mean, and then for for those that even want to do something uh, simpler, this is I've got a, a three question game that any team um, can uh, business, whether you're, you're a business or a family or um, an organization, uh, you can you can have you can play this game over lunch, um, and so it's just three questions. So um, you, you go around the table and ask everybody, how productive would you be today um, if you didn't have access to any computing technology for the day? So assume through whatever reason the internet's gone your cell phone's gone your your computer's gone you can't get a replacement you're not going to have access to technology stuff for 24 hours and how would that impact your job how would that impact being able to pick up your kids communicate and just go around the table and talk about folks for that for a day and then the second question you ask is now if you didn't have access to any of that for a week how would that impact your job your relationship with customers your relationship with other departments inside the company uh, and then go up from a day to a week. And the third question is you ask a month. And by the time you get around to the third question, everyone's face has generally uh, gone pale. And they're like, if I didn't have technology for a whole month, um, our business would be shut down. Our customers would be leaving us for somebody else. And um, it's a it's an easy one. You don't need any technical sophistication to ask that. You just need to be able to sit down and, and theorize what would happen without access to email and your computing systems and all those things. Um, and once you start to map that out, you'll you'll figure out um, where and, and how you should start looking at backups and redundancy and alternatives um, because um, it's one cyber attack or one incident away from not having that stuff for a day, a week, or a month. Continuity of operation. Yes. Yeah, more things you can study in school. So uh, speaking of continuity of operations, I guess so, uh, this will head me into the, the information sharing and analysis organization. So um, – as most academic related things, so lots of words there, um, and it turns into an acronym. But help um, for our audience understand kind of what this is at a high level and, and why it's important. Okay, I'd love to. Uh, and and we weren't the ones that came up with that name, so we can't blame the acronym on us. No. Uh, but uh, a number of years ago, in 1998, uh, the uh, Presidential Decision Directive 63, uh, if I recall correctly, the right number there. Uh, called for a, the creation of information sharing and analysis centers, commonly referred to as ISACs. And they were supposed to be created for each one of the critical infrastructures. So you have one for banking, you have one for water, you have gas, uh, uh, electricity, so on and so forth, all the different critical infrastructures. They were created, they've been around for, you know, since 99, I guess was the first one, the financial services, I believe was the first one uh, formed. And they've been around and they've been doing a great job. Uh, back in uh, during the uh, President Obama's administration, was someone figured out that most of the country, they're not part of an infrastructure, a critical infrastructure. You know, most people who are employed out there somewhere are part of industry or some other aspect of government or whatever. Uh, so the majority of the country was not being helped by any of the information sharing and analysis centers. And the purpose of the ISACs was to share cybersecurity information to help facilitate, first of all, the uh, detection of, of uh, cyber incidents and then hopefully the prevention of those cyber incidents. So if I'm, we'll pick on the financial services side again, if I'm Bank of America and I notice something, then if I say something, I can warn uh, Wells Fargo before it hits Wells Fargo because how, how many of these uh, sectors have similar software and hardware that they're using? They do. Yeah. You know, that's the point. Yeah, so I mean, that, they're all communicating on the SWIFT network. They're all communicating in the financial services through a bunch of, of different common systems um, and common sets of software. So if there's a vulnerability that's affecting one, it's probably going to impact the others as well. So 
this time I spot it first and warn you, and next time you spot it first and warn me. And so we're better off as a community. Yeah, because uh, folks always wonder, it's like, why would Bank of America collaborate with Wells Fargo? Well, um, both of them have a, a benefit to gain if the consumers and the businesses out there know that financial systems are safe. Because if the, their customers thought the financial systems aren't safe, even if, if Wells Fargo gets hacked one week and Bank of America gets hacked the next week, then they everyone loses trust in the whole system. So the financial services sector as a whole benefits from sharing information so that they're safer and secure, and it it allows more of us to have the confidence to to trust our information with them. They still have their challenges like everybody else because that's where the money is, and they get targeted. But um, the sharing of information they have really prevents a lot of major things. Yeah, and the financial services sector is a good one to, to look at because they were hesitant to share information, the individual banks. We're hesitant to share information initially, but eventually, when you start studying this and you start working together long enough, you recognize it's not me against you, two banks. It's us against the, you know, bad guys out there, the yeah. uh, criminal elements or nation states. We're when it comes to security, we're part of a team. We're yeah. not competitors. So yeah, for sure. So in back to the the ice house in 2015, President Obama uh, issued an executive order uh, that called for the creation, basically told DHS that they needed to uh, establish a standards organization to create an ecosystem that would allow for thousands of information sharing and analysis organizations. So the, the challenge was to go from 16 at that time sector-based ISACs to an ecosystem that would include thousands of information sharing organizations. Uh, UTSA, the CIS, was fortunate. We, were, we put a proposal together along with uh, LMI and the Retail Services ISAC, uh, and we won that, that grant. So we became the standards organization for the nation to develop standards for information sharing, guidelines, best practices, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, it's, been, it's been a great ride since then. Uh, and it, it's, it's kind of interesting because one of the biggest things that we've had to fight is the preconception of what an ISAO should look like. Because everybody thinks, you know, financial services ISAC. Well, I, if I may, one of my favorite examples that I have presented in a number of different briefings is the uh, South Texas Mariachi Band ISAO. Yes. And, and normally when I mention that in a, in a conference or something like that, a briefing, I get some chuckles. But I, I'm kind of serious about that. Um, do mariachi bands have websites? All of them. Yeah. Do they? You've got to get booked somehow. Yeah. Do they collect credit card information? Yeah. You've yeah. got to get paid. Yeah. So is any of this information stored on a computer somewhere? For sure. Sure. It's pretty hard to take a credit card without a computer these days. Yeah. So yeah, the, we got rid of the little uh, carbon paper <laughs> scanners with, with the PCI standards. Would this group benefit as a group uh, by coming together and talking about cybersecurity as it relates to them on a, some periodic basis? Well, absolutely. Yes. You know, they could talk about what is it that they need to know. Do they need a 24-7 security operations center like the FSI SAC has? No. No, they don't need it. But if they came together and just talked about cybersecurity, you know, it's kind of like, hey, I heard about this ransomware thing. Are you guys doing anything about that? Is that something we need to be worried about? Yeah. Just talking at that level means they're talking about cybersecurity and they're better preparing for uh, an incident of some sort. And if we could get every type of group like that in this country working to, together with their own uh, individuals that have common interests, how much better would the nation be off? And so that's how we're going to get to the thousands of ice house 
Yeah, no, I mean, as I, and as I think about this, just some of the stuff seen in the news, you mentioned ransomware. We've we've seen a number of municipal governments in Florida um, and in the state of Texas recently that have all been ransomware. Some of them have announced how much they've paid. I think one of the cities in Florida said they paid a, over a $400,000 ransom. Um, and, and, and many of these governments go, well, we don't have money to participate in an ISAO. We don't have money to set this these programs up. Uh, I'll, um, I'm going to guess that it's much less expensive to be part of this and participate in one of those than a $400,000 ransom. Oh, absolutely. And we've got programs that we've put together out at UTSA uh, to help specifically communities, cities, to put together their own, uh, not only the uh, information sharing program, but uh, an overall cybersecurity program. Because an information sharing program without an underlying cybersecurity program is doomed to fail. Yeah. So you've got to have that program. And we recognize that communities don't have any money. Nobody's budget. If you, unless you budgeted for it a few years ago, you don't have a budget today for that. So everything that we start off with is no or low cost. Yeah. I mean, not a lot of money that you have to put together to start these things. No. Yeah. And I mean, yes, because cities out there, especially um, rural cities, which is where all these, these criminals are targeting. Um, well, I guess, I mean, the city of Atlanta got the ransomware and the the airport in atlanta i believe also had a cybersecurity incident so maybe they are going after big stuff as well but i mean yeah these these smaller ones don't have a cybersecurity team they're never going to have a cybersecurity team because their their residents are asking for uh, better roads better street lights better sidewalks and all of those sorts of things uh but rather than better cybersecurity. absolutely and that's one of the things that we uh, is our specialty, it's our little niche, one of our niches at the CIS is the helping the states, locals, tribes, and territories. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess it related to that, um, state of Texas here, uh, DIR and UTSA and, and Texas A&M are going to collaborate on a, an ISAO for the, the state of Texas? Absolutely. There was some legislation that was passed uh, in a legislative session here in Texas that it called for the creation of a Texas information sharing analysis organization. And uh, DIR, the Department of Information Resources, which is the state's IT people, uh, they um, are going to, they have already got the Network Security Operations Center that they've got up in Austin. Uh, but what they're going to be doing is they're going to handle information sharing between state agencies and institutions of higher education at the state of Texas. But that, of course, same kind of issue that we had at the federal level at the ISACs, that leaves the majority of people in the state without an ISAO to go to. Uh, and so UTSA picks it up at that point. And so we will be dealing with uh, counties, with city governments, and also industry within the state of Texas to form an information sharing analysis entity for that portion of the state. And then Texas A&M has got a, a tremendous cybersecurity uh, incident response team up there that, that, that actually helped with this last uh, 23 uh, communities that were hit with that ransomware. And so they're, they're, as a team, the three of us, you know, we're, our goal here at UTSA is to help them, uh, the communities and folks put together programs so they don't get hit by something. But if they do, and there will be people that do, then we've got Texas A&M that can help jump in and, and with the incident response. Yeah. Now, I mean, for those listening uh, uh, over the Internet uh, via either podcast or our archives or via iHeartRadio streaming, uh, so Texas is a, an interesting state. We have 254 counties. Um, each of those counties has their own county government and so their own municipal systems. And maybe they've got some shared sort of cloudy services, but each of them is responsible for um, all of their, their own activities. They have their own elected county commissioners and everything else. We have, I think, more um, 
state elected officials than any other state in the nation. So um, it, it's one where um, solving the problem in Texas um, solves it uh, for a way that it should be able to scale to uh, any other state in the union. So if, if um, UTSA and Texas A&M and then DIR can figure out how to help the, the county and city governments and, and state agencies here in the state of Texas, um, there's no other state. We're not the most populous, uh, but from a, a government complexity level, uh, we may be the most complicated. Yeah, and earlier this year, interestingly enough, there was a county in uh, uh, Texas that had that was hit by ransomware, and the county judge declared a cyber state of emergency for that county, which is the first time that occurred in the state of Texas. And it's kind of from my perspective, hey, that's kind of cool. Yeah, so that was the one that I went into your notes to talk about in class. Yep. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, and then this is an interesting thing because like you, you get back to to all of these providing city services and things now. And like as I, I think we've had um, folks uh, on from the the company here in San Antonio that's um, moved uh, a lot of the three one one phone calls now aren't phone calls anymore. They go through a three one one app. So. Um, this is if for those outside the San Antonio area. I don't know if three one one is a universal thing everywhere, but this is where you can call in San Antonio to get access to city services, all sorts of different things. Uh, you can report potholes, you can report graffiti, you can um, get a, a brush pickup, you can do all sorts of things through three one one. And now that's gone digital, um, and the, the city um, has to run an API and provide a, a service for that mobile app, uh, and whether they contract with a third party or not. But that's a, a cyber attack surface that they need to uh, think about and defend against to provide basic city services that folks expect to have access to. Absolutely. There's a lot of talk uh, about e-government and uh, more and more communities and the, these smart cities and so on and so forth. And, and those are great, absolutely great when you start doing some of those things. But you can't do them correctly unless you consider security. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, talking kind of about some of the, the big industry, the ISACs that started off and then uh, maybe and moving into some of these uh, work you guys are doing with the state of Texas and others on uh, ISAOs, uh, following on to that to just to, to get up and going and accomplish what DHS was looking, uh, you guys have evolved in, in, into, a, I guess, another model of geographically based uh, setting these uh, ISAOs up? Yeah, we, we, we have actually, at the CIAS at UTSA, have actually created the geographically based community ISAO, which is, a, in essence, um, a, an ISAO of ISAOs, because what it's designed to do is to help communities create their own information sharing analysis organization. We're working with, for example, right now, uh, City of Houston, and uh, Cyber Houston's putting together one, the city of San Antonio. Uh, the community is working with a chamber to put together one. And so we're forming these ISAOs and we'll have uh, a community, you know, communities that can then uh, share information with other communities. And we see, we believe it, that, that that's the sweet spot right now for uh, ISAOs because uh, my mariachi bands, the mariachi bands in South Texas are probably not ready to come together to form an ISAO. But there may be, be individual ones that are interested in cybersecurity. And if there's a community-based ISAO, they could join that community-based one. And me, as a, a citizen of San Antonio, I have a vested interest in hoping that, that everybody in the community participates because my For credit sure. card information is all over this place. And I would like to think everybody I've, I've given my credit card to is protecting my information. So as a citizen, I have a vested interest in making sure the city is cyber secure. Yeah. No, on, on these, um, the community-based ones, um, I, I'll, I'll uh, make a, an ask out here over the radio. If you are a member of an ISSA chapter um, somewhere across the U.S., uh, 
and then you should bring this up as a topic at your next chapter meeting on how does that ISSA chapter help um, spearhead and organize and chair and, and get going to get these, these ISOs uh, spread out across the, the country. And if you are interested and need someone to talk to about it, uh, contact us at the CIAS or um, you know, give us a call and I'll hop on a plane and come out and talk to your ISSA chapter. You know, have computer, we'll travel. Yeah, so that's um, cias.utsa.edu. Correct. Yeah, so and uh, Dr. Greg White is my guest. If you uh, just happen to tune in right now and you, you were like wondering who's volunteering to come talk to your <laughs> ISSA chapter, uh, that, that's who it is. And uh, yeah, he'll um, be able to help you. Um, get all this stuff sorted out. So, um, Greg, did I mention at the start of the program that we were going to, yeah, we were going to get 100 of the Cyber Threat Defender cards? We you, did. Yes, you did mention okay, that. Yeah. So uh, for those that were not here at the start of the program, so uh, uh, Dr. White and his team over there has uh, also come up with a game called Cyber Threat Defender. It's a, a card game like Magic the Gathering or Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon or all of those, but it's uh, teaches cybersecurity. You get to have all the fun and competition of those games, but uh, while you get to learn the cybersecurity fundamentals, it's uh, been out there now. Is it about feels about like four or five years? Uh, not quite that not many. quite that long. Not, not quite. Not that. quite that long. So in English, but uh, now out uh, and released in in Spanish here, uh, and we're gonna uh, CyberTalk Radio is gonna get a hundred of those decks out to uh, the students in San Antonio ISD to to help them get going. And if uh, anyone else wants to uh, kick in and and join with us, um, reach out to us at the program. Um, at CyberTalk Radio on Facebook or Twitter, um, or you can email the show on, on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com. But we would love to have more folks out here in the, the community uh, agree to uh, sponsor and get some decks out there to, to kids in school so they can start using this as a, a teaching aid. And um, kids, I think, love nothing more than learning in, in a game uh, format. So gamification of learning, we found out, works really well, especially when you're, you're uh, teaching to uh, middle school and elementary school kids. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, thank you uh, yeah, very much for, for joining us, uh, for the, the work that you do. And uh, uh, hopefully uh, you've been, I get to the university almost 20 years now. Uh, almost. I would love to see you there another 20. Um, uh, we'll see what the, the university has in store for you and what you, you uh, how long you want to decide to continue to serve there. But maybe uh, kind of like one of our other guests, uh, uh, General uh, Bernie Scotch, who uh, took over um, Cyber Patriot when the, uh, the Air Force um, what is it? The Air Force Association. Yeah, the Air Force Association asked him to uh, help get the Cyber Patriot thing going, and he, he thought he was going to be in it for a year or two. And uh, I think a decade later, there he's still in charge. He's got a bigger smile on his face now than I uh, than ever before. 